welcome back to the Houdat Jedi. And uh, sitting around my table is Fredo. Hello. And Dave. Hi. And of course, we're talking about The Mandalorian because it's the only thing we're watching on Disney Plus right now. Um, eventually, we'll get into more geeky stuff. Um, but before we start that, what other geeky stuff are you guys paying attention to? I will say a couple episodes ago, I did, you know, we talked about the sand crawler and the, um, the level in Super Star Wars that was impossible. After that episode, I actually fired up my Super Nintendo and tried to and tried to play, and I couldn't beat that level again. I got <laughs> ticked off and walked away from it because it is it's just a monstrous level. But anyway, so I'm kind of revisiting um, my uh, Super Nintendo, but I also um, I found out that on Netflix there is a new. First of all, there's a new season of um, the Toys That Made Us, but there's also a new series, the Movies That Made Us. Hmm. Ah. That it's the first. Uh, their first episodes are Ghostbusters, um, Dirty Dancing. Uh, I can't remember what the other two were, but anyway. So now I'm gonna have to venture away from Disney Plus and get into Netflix, and you know, because the toys that made us, that's an awesome series. So I'm have big hopes for the uh, movies that made us. What else are you geeking out over, Dave? We uh, last night I watched uh, with my wife this. Uh, it, it's funny you mentioned Netflix. Um, it was a mo- it was a documentary on Netflix about um, music that had uh, sprung from the uh, valley uh, in California back in the sixties. Yeah. Um, I can't remember the name of this thing. I'll have to go look it up. But so um, talking about the Eagles and Linda Ronstadt and mm, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, Mamas and the Papas. Oh, and, go back a little bit further. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, and just like all that stuff, and and how um, how the Beatles even drew influence from that for Sgt. Pepper, and uh, it was a really really cool documentary. Oh. And it was um, uh, Bob Dylan's kid who was doing it, and he was just going around interviewing all these amazing musicians. And then um, he ended up having a concert um, where they did covers of all these cool tunes, and so they interspersed his concert into it as well oh cool yeah it's really neat so i recommend that if i can figure out the name of it speaking of which i know it's not the valley but next time i go to los angeles you you go to anaheim every now and again fredo did you know did you know that uh in downtown los angeles there is a place called scum and villainy cantina no and it is it's a bar that looks like the cantina from star wars so i need to go to that Next time I'm there, I need to so, visit it too. Yeah. Anyway, all right. So, what are you geeking out over? Uh, been catching up with his dark materials over on HBO, which is, um, if you remember, about a decade or so ago, it was a movie called The Golden Compass, the Compass, mm-hmm. based on uh, this young adult series. Uh, they HBO's taking it. They're making a show about it. They're up to episode four, uh, which was actually the best episode they've done. Uh, uh, Lin Manuel Manuel Miranda just came in. He plays this aeronaut, so like this. Uh, airship pilot whatever and so he's trying to team up with this um this little girl as they're trying to find missing children that are being taken by the powers that be for nefarious purposes it's it's a very dark young adult fantasy novel it's very interesting so but it's interesting watching Lynn Monroe Miranda and go like not as Hamilton (laughs) (laughs) and it's like oh okay you're not Hamilton here so uh, obviously it's uh, after Thanksgiving and we're all celebrating a Saints win against the Falcons. Yay. It's always a, uh, a reason to celebrate. Um, and Dave, do you have the clip of the best play-by-play for the best Saints play that has ever happened? 
This is, yeah, go ahead and cue it up. What do you got? Super guten Job machen. War der Head Coach bei den Raiders damals. Da sah es nicht so gut aus als Head Coach. So that was uh, the German broadcasting team with uh, the stiff arm from Tuttle to Matt Ryan. And one of our friends mentioned this, said, let's talk about this for a second. What did Matt Ryan think? What was he thinking about? He was going to tackle that big guy. It's like, thanks for making the effort, but you're just, it's not going to end well for you. I don't know what he was thinking but it, at all. It is, it is now the <laughs> gift that every New Orleans fan has on their, you know, if they're having a bad day, they'll just go to it and watch Tuttle stiff-arming Matt Ryan into Flat Ryan, as I, <laughs> as I saw Absolutely. There. I mean, it's like our version of someone getting posterized uh, on the uh, basketball court. Oh, my goodness. It was, it was so, so joyous. So Thursday was Turkey Day and Saints beating the Falcons Day. And then on Friday, we had the uh, uh, new episode of The Mandalorian. And uh, <laughs> um, a new episode of The Mandalorians. We had episode four called Sanctuary, and we're here to talk about that. And let's just uh, start off with the elephant in the room on this one. We haven't talked about this since you guys have been at my house, but I will say first thing I thought of when this thing opens up was the farmers are being attacked by orcs. <laughs> if this thing is going to become like Lord of the Rings, I'm going to start to lose interest because that just, I know there's only so many aliens you can do in Star Wars. I get it, but those guys look just I, I like made an orc orcs. comment as well. Yeah. Uh, you know. They behave rather orcish. And the thing that, there, I, I, when I'm watching this this series, and it's like any, and I'm going to bring it up a couple times as we talk about this, uh, this episode. Um, as I look for moments where I'm taken out of the movie, um, and I will say, um, and this will kind of, well, I'll talk about it a little bit. There's even moments like in Empire Strikes Back where I'm taken out of it. Um, it doesn't make it necessarily that, okay, now I don't like Empire Strikes Back, blah, 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 you know, just because I'm taken out of it. But I think there are choices that we make, whether it's, you know, any creative choice, you know, that when you think about your audience, you could end up taking them out of the experience you want. And that was one of them where it was just like, and so in this, so it's like, oh, wow, okay, we're orcs. So I'm kind of like automatically I'm being sarcastic. And then, so now they're, they're swooping up all of the, uh, the krill and they're getting all this stuff. And then the one orc goes and kills a droid. He just, he zaps the droid and he's like, Rah! I'm like, <laughs> really? That's what you're celebrating is that you zapped a stationary droid that has no chance of escaping. But so anyway, those are just moments that took me out of it. But anyway, so the farmers are attacked by orcs. This is obviously just a setup of, hey, kids, this is where we're at for this episode. Yeah, the moment I, the moment that I start playing and you see the idyllic farm and the attack by the raiders, you're like, my mere thought was, okay, this is going to be our... Uh, seven Samurai, The Magnificent Seven, 
Three Amigos episode. El, El Guapo comes That's in. That's right. <laughs> that, or, that orc was El Guapo for this episode. I, I had not thought about that until 30 seconds ago when that, you doing it before we hit record when you mentioned that. But it is. It's you know that, is, that was their own personal El Guapo. That was the that actually is a scene. I mean, you could we could cue it up from Three Amigos. That's just just funny. Exactly. Yeah, and I I do have to take the temperature of the room. Have you guys seen the Magnificent Seven remake that came out a few years ago? I haven't ago? seen the remake. Not yet. Okay. It was good. I liked it. Um, I mean, I wouldn't compare it to the original, but um, obviously with this story, I mean, this is, this is Seven Samurai. This is the Magnificent Seven. This is, you know, half the Westerns you've probably ever seen on television. Mm-hmm. Um the the village falls into trouble that they they can't take care of themselves and they need to outsource help. So not to not to get in front of our skis, but we're talking a little bit off you know off the air here a little bit ago, but uh, if you will, um, but does it cheapen the episode? Because it's kind of like I think about it as a musician when I'm listening to a band, it's like yeah, it's a really good song, but that's the same chord progression as this other tune or that's just derivative of this other song and so i may like it but you haven't re you haven't created something new you've just kind of taken the play-doh and put it over the top of the or i'm sorry the silly putty and put it over top of the comic and stretched it out a little bit you know what i mean um does it cheapen does it does it is it going to get like when we get into episodes five six seven and eight are we going to go Oh, okay. Here we go. It's just another. Here's this reference this time. Is that is that a fear? I don't. I wouldn't call it a fear for me exactly. I know that I enjoy it, um, and I think like there's value to be derived from seeing something new. In... I mean, it's kind of like sorry to interrupt, but it's kind of yeah. like that whole episode. The Simpsons did it. You know, the South Park episode where mm-hmm. hey, we're going to do blah 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 blah, and then the one kid goes, Simpsons did it. And then they all become the Simpsons because, you know, there is no new plot devices is basically what, you know, the South Park people were talking about. But Sorry, I, I interrupted you, okay. Dave. Oh, that's fine. I, I think the newness that that we can derive from it is the fact that it's set in the Star Wars universe. Uh, we've we've leaned into these Western motifs in the past, but I don't, I don't know that they've told this story yet. Um, so... I'm here for it. I'm having it. I'm having yeah. fun with the references. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I just laughed about the three amigos. Like, that is awesome. You know, it's mm-hmm. so. And again, it, if we come back to it, it's like John Favreau talked about is you know, he's playing with Star Wars figures. And so we, you know, as we played with our Star Wars figures growing up, you know, we obviously referenced things that we knew, you know, we made up our own stories that, you know, and really. I would, as a musician, I will say there hasn't been an original piece of music written, you know, <laughs> for a long time because we're just everything derives from your influences. It's like literature; it's the same thing. It's the same story, just different new. context. So. But I, I think, in part, you also have to consider how this particular chapter or episode serves the greater meta narrative. Like, on the one hand. It does feel derivative because in some ways it is. But without it, you would always have the question, well, why didn't they just go find the most abandoned or quiet or out of the way world that nobody can get to? And I think part of what the context of this episode is establishing is no matter where you go in this galaxy, one, there's always going to be an issue. 
that the Mandalorian is going to get drugged into because of his skills, whether for good or ill, and they're always going to be hunted. And I, I, I think what I'm getting at is I think what Star Wars is going to need at some point um, post episode nine is they're going to need that Hamilton. You know, it's because my wife and I go to musicals and, you know, it's like we watch. It's like, yeah, it was a really good musical, but it was pretty much Rent, but with this. Or it was pretty much, you know, Les Mis, but with that. And Hamilton comes out and it's like, holy crud, this is totally new. Mm-hmm. This is totally different. Nobody's done something like this before. And so Star Wars is going to need something like that where it's like, and that's that's the danger because that's going to take a that's going to take a leap and so maybe that's a discussion for another time. Well, I'm fine having that discussion right now too. <laughs> <laughs> um, back to the documentary that I mentioned earlier when you said other things you're watching it was called Echo in the Canyon. I encourage people to check it out. It was really good. Um, but one of the things that you mentioned in that was that riffing, like you said, um, of taking what someone else had done literally and in another song and basically sampling it and just changing the tempo or what have you um and that's done here clearly Mm -hmm. um it's also my favorite episode of anything that we've seen so far um because i love that that particular story so much and if there's if there's room for star wars to continue to do this and i i believe that there is because what we had previously experienced in Star Wars was um, your saga films, which had kind of begun to repeat themselves, um, less so these outside influences. And so now we're telling different stories, and I'm really on board with that. Um, but I also take your point, and I agree with it too. I, I would, to me, the Star Wars universe lends itself towards an original story that we haven't seen before. And I want to see that. I really do. You know, and you remember we, and I just kicked a microphone stand again. That's going to be part of this podcast is who kicked the <laughs> microphone stand. Um, we'll have to turn it into a drinking game that every time or somebody, if you kick a drinking, if you, if you kick a microphone stand, you got to take a shot. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's, and I can't remember what the heck I was going to say because I just kicked the microphone stand. So anyway, we'll just, we'll just go ahead and move on. Um, so, the orcs attack, and then all of a sudden we're in the cockpit, and we've got bored Baby Yoda. And again, it's like the last episode we talked about. I thought it was the most it was the cutest scene when he was trying to get the gear shift knob. Well, here's bored Baby Yoda looking out the window, and he just starts flicking switches. And I remember a kid I went to school with just like, are these power windows? And he starts moving the power windows. You know, and of course Mandalorian's like, ah, don't touch that. And turn it off. And baby yoda then flips switch again he's like don't do that and then baby yoda does the whole thing where he just stares and then reaches <laughs> over and and i'll never this was it was the first saints game we ever went to Brittany and i ever went to and sitting in front of us was a mom and a little kid and a little kid had one of those cowbell things where you know saints did something well and he'd <laughs> ring this cowbell and it just went on all game long it was fine it was like eight-year-old kid whatever but by the fourth quarter, mom was like done with the cowbell. And so the kid went, bling, 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 and mom's just like, stop with the cowbell and put her hand on it. And went to watch the game, and that was a nice catch. Went to watch the game, and kid looks at mom, bling, 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 and then mom puts hand on the cowbell again. And then mom looks away, and the kid goes, 
So it was just kid pushing the buttons. So again, Dave, you're That's the truth. only yes. you're the only one with kids at this table. <laughs> Have you experienced this with kids in nah. the car? Multiple times, just within the last week, because the kids have been out for Thanksgiving, where school. they stare at you and like, I am going to do this because I Literally know it pisses you off. In the same room as the parent, will will watch you. To look to see when you're distracted, looking at your phone or whatever, and will wait and patiently for you to be distracted to, so they can act out again. You know, it, it's I'm sorry, but I, not to compare your kids to my dogs, but dogs <laughs> do the exact same thing. Um, actually, I worked with a uh, with a um, principal who used professional development leave to go to a Caesar Milan training. Because he says if it works for dogs, it's certainly going to work for ninth graders. <laughs> and it's true. You know, I mean, but anyway. Uh, so anyway, so Yoda. So here's in the last uh, episode I talked about, I thought it was really interesting that when Yoda baby was messing with the gear shift knob and he's like, that's not a toy. And he grabs him by the scruff of the neck and puts him back in the crib here. When Yoda ticks him off, he cradles him, picks him up. He cradles him and he puts him in his lap. And it's like, that's, you know, the way I've seen the Mandalorian with baby Yoda has been like every father. It's like, we don't need a dog. And then that dog becomes dad's best friend. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, but anyway, I found it very interesting that the, even the physical dynamic of scruff of the neck, chucking into the crib to cradling and putting in the lap. I don't know. Did it, did, am I the only one that was struck by that? Or did you guys, I sure on. noticed it, yeah. I mean, uh, so much of this is kind of uh, subconscious level for me because I was like, yep, recognize that. That that rings true. But uh, I just... And it's really interesting. They said that uh, originally the Yoda baby was supposed to be CG and Werner Herzog said, don't do it. He called them cowards. <laughs> do, it, do it as a puppet. And I mean, there's some CG elements to it where I think they make him blink and stuff like that like they did with the Ewoks and stuff like that. But... Um, um, otherwise, I, I just think they've been doing great puppet work. I mean, yeah, it's obviously a puppet, but I think it's just, just been great. They've, you know, it's baby Yoda, you know. Um, so do we think real quick, this might be a little bit too far out there, but do we think, is it baby of Yoda's species? Or do we think that because there's cloning involved here with Kaminoans and stuff like that, is it? Because one of my 500 first friends threw this out there. He said, I think it's actually Baby Yoda. Like a clone of... That is, is a clone of Yoda. I ain't going to rule it out. I, so it, Well, here's the thing. It's, they say he's 50 years old. 50 years from this point. I would still put think us it could right be Padman Yoda maybe had right. one night. You know, it could be. Well, no, but I'm saying it puts us right in smack in the middle of the Clone Wars. So... You have Yoda running around, being a general in the clone armies. All Somebody it takes grabs is one, a hair. Yeah, all it takes is one brainwashed clone trooper to snatch a little sample and you know bring it back to the Kaminoans. I think you know. I think if they did that, that would make like the net nerds just go, "Oh, come on!" <laughs> you know. I think I think people can like get behind like, all right, there's this you know species that is highly force sensitive, you know. Right that here. maybe it's like here's the strongest Jedi that ever lived. We need to find out if there are more of those out there. Anyway, I, th Which I throw that grenade out there. Brings a question to my mind: 
do you think we'll ever know anything about their species before the season is out? Just because who would give that information? Clearly, Baby Yoda doesn't know because it's a baby. So who would who would have that knowledge? If, say, the Mandalorian where, the future episode this, wanted to find this out. Where did this thing come from and how did it end up on Nick Nolte's planet? Yeah, exactly. It, or, or if you want to find out more information about what kind of species it is, because right now it's a baby. He doesn't yeah. know... You know, when it hits adolescence, what's going to happen, what's going on. If he tries to find some answers, who would he go to for this? Yeah, I don't know. This is part of the essence of Star Wars to me, is these sorts of questions that crop up. And oh, yeah. we, we always, we never get all of them answered. We we only get a, like a tiny fraction. Well, of here's, here's a, I guess we could say this, because we know they're filming season two. Do you think Yoda Baby's in season two? Or is, I actually, I kind of think that Yoda Baby is... A plot device for season one it's a plot device for season one to show the mandalorian going from this cold lone wolf individual to somebody who looks at a broader picture is more has needs more connection um and the yoda baby is I think we're going to get a bye-bye Billy moment you know um it's a smart way to humanize a man in a mask because the only th- because Gremlins two is not as good as Gremlins one, <laughs> you know what I mean. And by season two, I think that if, like I said, Yoda baby starts you know talking, talking and doing other things, then it's kind of like, all right, yeah, all right, I'm kind of done with you. So I think I I really think that this it's a plot device for this season. Well, I mentioned in our second episode, I think the. Yoda baby's going to get taken out at some point. Well, we'll talk about that here in a little bit. So, all right. So the for- the farmers were attacked by orcs and Yoda baby's messing with stuff in the cockpit. And the best thing, Mandalorian saying, stay here. I'm going to go find stuff. Don't move. Don't touch anything. Don't move. And so they lower the gangplank and Yoda baby's standing right next to him. And here's one of the moments again that just kind of took me out of it. And not a bad thing. But the, and it was a funny line, but the Mandalorian just said, what the hell? Come on. And it was the same thing in The Last Jedi when Poe's foot goes through the floor of the janky speeder. <laughs> and he says, what the hell? And it was the same thing in um, Empire Strikes Back when Han Solo says, then I'll see you in hell. These, these American colloquialisms that, yeah, they're part of our speech, but we're not in you know, the United States on earth. Now, Star Wars, if you read Star Wars novels, they go the opposite way and they try, they just create words that make no sense whatsoever or names, (laughs) names that for people that it's like, you have to, you know, work on your phonics to try to figure it out. So I think it's a fine line, but do any of those little like turns of phrases, am I the only one that's just kind of, it's like, well, Oh, okay. Well, I'm out of the movement. Okay, now I'm back in. Not in, really. In that moment, it didn't take me out, but mostly because uh, you were. I was recognizing the moment. I was recognizing the frustration of. Okay, I tried telling you to stay here, and of course it didn't work. So, what do I do at this point? You know, I can get mad, or I can just roll with the punches. Yeah, I mean, again, one of those relatable parent moments too. When sure. You see that and. But, like, I go back to Revenge of the Sith here, you know. It's like we've seen a literal manifestation of hell in the Star Wars universe sure. already. So it's, Touché. 
you know, I'm fine with references to hell. But I am saying it's not really necessarily the reference. It's just the, the turn of phrase that, right. um, and it's happened all throughout Star Wars. But are those things that just make me think like, I'm not in the Star Wars universe anymore. I'm now sitting around the bar with my friends because I will say, what the hell? You know, it's just, I just find it interesting within writing. But again, it, the problem with Star Wars is that they go the opposite direction when they try to overcompensate and create words that it's like, you know, some move, some move milker. Mm-hmm. It's like, I think really? <laughs> it tends to go according to the creator, whether that's a writer, producer, director, whoever's composing that for that particular, you're right. If you read the novels or the comic books, they will go way out to one extreme to just generate jargon and techno- yeah, terminology Swoboda. that will swap in for hours. Swoboda starts with two consonants, S and V, and it drives people nuts. And when you look at Star Wars names and books, it's like, you, I give up. It's just like, <laughs> all right, that's the, that person. That's three I hyphen. Oh my gosh. The, so anyway, I got us on a tangent there. So anyway, oh, so fine. so he goes. So Robin Hood and Little John are walking through the forest. That's <laughs> another when they're hiking along. I just thought it was really cute. But they go into this restaurant, and a rebels deep cut kind of. If you're into rebels, um, Baby Yoda encounters a loath cat, mm-hmm. which I thought was yeah. really cool. Yeah. And it it was a very good live action loath cat. Um, that uh, but there again, Jawas inhabit other you know planets loath cats apparently travel as well but you know um so uh beyond the loath cat we uh then automatically see gina carano's character that we know as caradoon um so he uh then sits down and the waitress comes over this is obviously like if you went into small town kansas or small town nebraska you know and started but you're from the big city and you start asking quick because the waitress was like why are you throwing all this money at me you know type of thing <laughs> it was kind of kind of interesting um but but Cara Dune obviously stands out to him as well because he asks how long has she been here you know um so they have their their big fight and once again we get the cutest baby Yoda thing because you know, here they are pointing guns at each other and they look and there's Baby Yoda drinking his soup. And uh, the next big meme moment of the Mandalorian. <laughs> you know, Baby Yoda just standing there with a cup of soup. It, you know, it's it's just one of those things. It reminded me, I was watching uh, on Disney Plus, uh, Empire of Dreams. They've got the documentary mm. there from the original saga. And, I love that documentary. Yeah, so and um, Irvin Kirshner said with Empire Strikes Back, he said, I knew I needed humor but I couldn't have gags and I needed a love story, but I couldn't have a lot of smooching, a lot of, you know, sex scenes, stuff like that. But I needed humor and I didn't, but I, you know, that's one of the things that baby Yoda does with this show that could be very, 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 very dark is gives you that moment of levity, you know? Yeah. Um, by the way, as a personal story, it was kind of funny because, um, when I, when Cara Dune and the Mandalorian are fighting, um, that's how I met one of my best friends that from elementary school up through high school. You was, tracked them outside of a bar. And no, yeah, no, it's that yeah. we, we got in a fight in oh. recess. It was, we were playing football and he hit me in the chin or something. I pushed him, he pushed me. And by, you know, fourth period, we were best friends. Um, so it's kind of interesting. So then she sits down and gives a little bit of her backstory. 
So, Dave, you want to talk about what you think about Cara Dune's backstory? Anything strike you? What oh, she I, was? I, I mean, I didn't. There wasn't a lot there that made me feel um, particularly drawn to her. I I like your analogy there of uh, coming to a fist fight and then becoming best of friends afterwards as a result of that and finding a camaraderie out of that. Um, I thought that was really cool. Um, that's a nice touch. Well, it kind of also reminded me, you know, it's like uh, we had a cat that was the most like vicious cat to anybody else except for us. And one of our friends came over and actually picked him up and sat him down on his haunches. And he just kind of looked at her like, well played. <laughs> you know, there was just this respect that and I that I think the two of them, you know, because they had a huge fist fight, which, by the way, Gina Carano, I'm thinking I think she did all of her stunts. And I'm guessing that's not Pedro Pascal throwing punches. But wouldn't think so. Did they really get into her background <laughs> as to why she was on that planet in the first place? They hint, they, they mentioned she, after the fight, when they're sitting down, they mentioned that she saw most of her action post Battle of Endor, trying to mop up Imperial warlords and Imperium, you know, Imperial outposts. And she says that for a while that was fine, but that then at some point the politics within the New Republic shifted. And they became far more difficult for her to disperse, you know, determine what was the good and what was the bad or who was the right and who was in the wrong. Well, and it seems like she just left it all behind. I, she defected. Yeah, he, he asked that, how'd you end up here? And he said, she said, er, basically early retirement, you know. Mm -hmm. So she left it very vague. I, I am still skeptical. I, I love her character. Um mm -hmm. I'm still skeptical because of we'll talk about some other things coming up here, but just makes me I'm not sold that again that they're on the exact same team. But what's interesting is that they present they use her as a conduit to present the shift in dynamics within the New Republic, meaning everybody was united and everybody had one goal when it was the rebellion, when everybody was together. And I think some of the books after or came out at the same time as Force, uh, Force Awakens kind of touched on that idea of the moment that the rebellion became the Republic, meaning that they gained the power over the galaxy. Invariably, you know, allegiances shifted, who you could trust shifted, and people were no yeah. longer on the same page. And I found it interesting that her choice was to run, so to speak, meaning she didn't just retire. She just, because she's on the, she's hiding out. She yeah. makes it clear. I'm hiding yeah, out of here. I agree with that. You go find your own planet. I'm, this is mine. And thus, who's hunting her? Because it's not the Republic. Now, this is three guys sitting around a table talking about this. So I'm not going to lay claim to this. I agree with her. My wife pointed this out. One thing she really liked was that Cara Dune was in a, was in, was dressed reasonably. Hmm. Wasn't like Wonder Woman in this, you know, skimpy, you know, thing you know yeah. running around kicking ass but you know showing enough to make everybody it, it was she was in they're, they're treating Battle this gear. character i mean um it, it's it's I, I i just i really enjoyed her character because mm -hmm. she really is she's strong um there's they have the moment a little bit later when she said nice bedside manner you yeah. know <laughs> um so anyway I, I think it's a really good character i'd still it'll be interesting to see if you know, if if she is kind of a Han Solo at the beginning of episode four where good guy, but I could also 
you know shift and move right well yeah, it's, yeah. and it's interesting because they they make her i mean they, they leave on good terms but they also establish that she's a capable fighter that she knows what she's doing from all the experiences of fighting in and with the rebellion so she knows kind of how to take care of herself and uh, it's more about what's after her because it's clear there's something after her we just don't know what it is so we get that backstory she said well this planet's taken basically i was here first and so mandalorian's gonna pack up and head out um and the farmers then which by the way when the farmers are coming up my comment to Brittany was what are we in like the swamps of Lafitte or something? Because you got all these, you know, tall, like, you know, they, it just looked like they were going through the swamps of, you know, uh, of, uh, Southeast Louisiana. But anyway, um, those two guys too, I don't know. They, they were playing it like yokels, man. They yeah, really it was, it was bad acting, <laughs> but here's the one thing that struck me. How come, Fast forward a little bit. The little girl comes into the doorway and the Mandalorian freaks out and draws his gun. Any other time somebody sneaks up behind him, he's whipping around and pulling a gun. These two guys come and say, excuse me, sir. And he's like, what? <laughs> it was it was one of those things like, wow, this is interesting. Why didn't he like totally wig out at this moment? I think that became a, kind of a theme in this episode, though, where he kind of lets his guard down. Well, that's and a good point. it almost bites him in the rear end uh, at, by the end of the episode. So they're asking him to. I, I didn't think about that. That's a really good point. Mm -hmm. That's a, it is a thematic, yeah, element here. Um, so they offer him to yeah, offer him a job, and first of all, he says no. There's not enough money, but then he realizes, hey, okay, I can take this easy job and hide. It is three amigos. Well, it's yeah. <laughs> it is the three amigos. But it's the idea of when, <clears throat> excuse me, when they offer him the opportunity to be in the middle of nowhere. When they tell him, oh, we're farmers. We're in a very secluded area. Nobody's out there. And all of a sudden, that connects with him with the idea of hiding, of finding a place where he can lay low that nobody knows is there. But that is the thing that took me out of it was their bad acting. <laughs> oh, shucks. No, we got to go to the middle. No, he throws his hands off to his side. I'm just like, they get these guys to the community theater or something. But anyway. One of them should have been chewing on a piece of straw or something. Right. <laughs> Um, but he then subcontracts Cara Dune, which again, uh, the, I think the Mandalorian from episode one would not have, you know, he, I, but then of course, when was it episode two, when he asked the Ugnot to be a part of his crew, he's gaining allies. He's well, he's, he's needing, he's needing connection. Mm -hmm. He's needing that, you know, it's. He's got Yoda baby, but I mean, to have somebody who is a you know can be a fighter who is you know nice to talk to and stuff. I I, I think he just needs connection. Well, and from the position that he, his initial assessment of the job is can't be done, shouldn't get involved. These people are out of their depth. And then when he agrees to take the job, he recognizes everything I thought was still true. So I need help. And the only person he can trust is the one person he just went 12 rounds with and that he knows that is a capable fighter. Because <clears throat> as far as he's concerned, the farm yokels are not going to be any help whatsoever in this. So, And he can't, you know, he whereas before he didn't have Yoda baby, so he could probably go and do whatever he wanted. Now he's got to be more responsible. And thematically to what you were hinting at, Aaron, I, I tend to agree. I think that it's... Um, 
purposeful. Um, that we're trying to get to this idea that this character's growing. Like, like, why are we telling this story to begin with? It's like, well, we want to see where this character goes and grows and, and becomes a more complete person. Um, and through the lens of the Mandalorian, who are these, you know, loner types, you know, they wear their armor, literally. Mm-hmm. Um, for them, it would be growth would be through human connection. And so it, it makes sense for them to explore that, especially in season one. So as they're going away, so they decide to take the the job, and and uh, Mandalorian then leans back, you know, on just to hands behind his head type of thing, leaning back, and then they show Baby Yoda doing the same thing, which that happens with little kids and their fathers. I mean, but I find it interesting that they took the time, and I have to back up. I used, you know, I used to be an instructional coach where I'd go into teachers' classrooms and just watch them teach. And then we'd have conversations and it'd be like, you know, so I ended up noticing things that other people, like I would ask, you know, why did you choose to do X, Y, or Z? And the teacher is like, well, how did you even notice that type of thing? You know, it's just so, so now when I'm watching this, I, I notice these little things. Why? And I wonder, so I understand Baby Yoda mimic, mimicking the Mandalorian, but the next thing they show is from Baby Yoda's perspective, looking up at the stars. Right. Why Why do they need to show that shot? Because they could have just cut straight to they're in the village now, but they take the moment to show Baby Yoda leaning back and looking up at the stars. I don't know if we have an answer for that, but I just find that a very interesting shot, you know, that why, why did you do that? Because there's nothing cinematic about it. It has to be, you cinematic. know. Yeah. I mean, it felt natural to me, um, I don't know, maybe because I thought like this child has been not exposed to that so much um, throughout its life. And it's like, you don't get to actually look at the stars and enjoy the stars and smell the roses. You know, is this also, I just thought about this, is this like, you know, Yoda, you know, chastising Luke all his life as he looked away to the horizon. Mm -hmm. Here's, here's a, here's a Yoda. And the point looking off to the horizon, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's a fun thought, but I also feel like the point that they bring up later in the episode too, is just like, he, he begins to feel like he could leave this child here. And like, why does he begin to feel that? So Yoda saying, I I dig it here. Yeah. Baby Yoda saying, I dig it here. Yeah. And I think like that's part of establishing. Sure. But I also think, and you make a good point regarding the kind of life that it's probably had up until this point. Right. You know, more than likely it's never been out of its grip for long. It doesn't seem like it's ever had any kind of connection with any other being until the Mandalorian. So therefore now it's getting a chance to kind of stretch out and be a kid. Right. So so we get to the uh, to the farm village and the kids love Baby Yoda. Dale one for Christmas. I love the shot because Baby Yoda takes his hands off the rail, and it's it, uh, what I said out loud was "All praise me." You know, it was <laughs> it was buy know. my merch. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, here's an, uh, so we, here's another thing that just kind of took me out of it, and again, not a bad thing. Not saying Mandalorian sucks because this took me out of it, but when the widow at one point says, "Knock knock." 
<laughs> she's at the door where, you know, they put the Mandalorian up in the barn. But anyway, she's, you know, bringing him some food or whatever. And she says, knock, knock. I mean, that's, that's, that's an idiom from, you know, that's uh, yeah. right. You know, see what I'm mm-hmm. saying now that these little things, now you're going to be like, damn it, Aaron, because no. you're going to hear these things when you watch and you're going to go, but it is one of those things that just, but I'll say that. I mean, the way that they, the way I took it was, okay, she's announcing herself in a way. Well, I get that. To, well, no, because they've already established that he'll get jumpy if his guard is down. So he's comfortable there enough. So she's doing something. And it's also allowing to build that rapport. I suppose, yeah, that's a good point. And, but like I said, maybe I I know I'm making a mountain over a molehill. Mm. But that, those are just little things that I, I notice in writing where it's just like, mm. You know, for me personally, things like um, visual effects and, and some of the musical cues, the, those are the kinds of things that can really pull me out of the moment. Um, with these, char- these character, you know, idioms and things like that usually don't bother me. Um, I'm trying to think of an example that really does. But So let me ask you this while, while you're thinking of one. What did you think of the music in this episode? Because I thought it was probably the best music-wise episode of the whole series so far. Because you got various different takes on the theme music. Yeah, whether it was in the, the village or whether you know playing it on a flute, they they, they find ways to kind of mix it in in different instruments and different tones so that it could fit what the situation was happening in the moment. I enjoyed it. T- too, I, I feel like they folded that that end theme in, and like the certain cues from that theme, they folded in at varying points, and they didn't. And we we talked about this in the earlier episode, and, and again, I don't want to say that you always have to take original themes, but it's like when the music needs to be not an afterthought, which I think the beginning of Rogue One, the music was an afterthought. It was like we just need music there for for the title theme. Put something bombastic uh, on the. That's but that's what a lot of movies do. Is like we need fight scene music, so they grab the cartridge that says fight scene music and they put it in. You know, where Star Wars, it's purposefully composed, and so it'll be interesting. I can't. I'm with some of the other people. There's another podcast I listen to, the Resistance broadcast, that they're they've been saying can't wait until we get some of the behind the scenes making of type things. You know, that will be so interesting because I want to see what this composer what he was what his thought process was i agree with that and i also agree with um what you were saying earlier which was just the um the references to other works how much of it was intentional how much of it wasn't yeah. intentional <laughs> you know those kinds of things i love to have those those questions answered. um so the widow knock knock and comes in and we we learned some things in this conversation first of all mandalorian is a first-time parent i loved it when it was like you know i've i've seen many of my friends as a first time parent I'm sure you with three kids that by the time you got to the third it was different um, than well, we just had a dog break into our podcast this is awesome um, but it was um, it was it was funny because she's like you know can I can I play with you know can I play with him and first of all this is the first time they use gender pronouns with mm-hmm. Baby Yoda, so we know he's male because now they're saying him, not it anymore. Again, something you pick up on. Uh, and Luna just broke in again. It's all right. She can come in. It's fine. She'll be yeah, fine. I can lock the door. Ah, she'll be good. Um, but uh, my dog broke in, so that's what happens in this podcast. 
Some people just you have got to a pet her. Velociraptor for a dog. Here. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but uh, but we so it's again interesting that they use the gender pronoun him. But anyway, that's beside the point. Um, but we learned he's first time parent, so it was like, can can I play with him? Yeah, sure. All right, come follow me. They're going to go outside, and he's like, I don't think that's a good idea. And <laughs> the widow says, I'll be all That'll right. Be fine. I don't think no, I'll be fine. And so he's got that. I mean, it's like probably with your first kid, it was like, you know, I, I'll never forget when my nephew, first time I was playing with my nephew and I'm tossing him up in the air. And my sister-in-law says, you know, we don't normally do that with him. I was like, really? Tossing him up in the air. You know, I just, I, I ignoring him, ignoring her, say, because mm-hmm. I could tell she was really freaked out. You're chucking my kid in the air. I'm not going to let anything happen to my nephew, you know, type of thing. But um, it's obviously he's a first time parent yes. and he's, He's taken on that parental role now. It's not grabbing by the scruff of the neck. It's like, I don't think that's a good idea because what's going to happen to him? We also ruled, learn uh, a little bit more of the rules of the helmet. He hasn't taken off his helmet in front of somebody else since he was about nine-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's not Mandalorian by birth. So the Great Purge, I don't know if what the flashbacks that we're seeing, if that has anything to do with Mandalore. If that has anything to do, because he said the Mandalorians took me in and I'm very grateful. And so he's not Mandalorian by birth. He's Mandalorian by choice and he's following their rules. Mm. So what is this? I'll just throw that grenade out there and drink my beer. (laughs) It's interesting because at first, I mean, it makes sense. There has to be rules after you established in last episode about how you can't take your helmet and, you know, you don't remove your helmet. You don't, uh, have take have it taken from you and then of course it leads to the natural question of wait a minute how does this person eat how does this person you know shower or whatever uh so you get into the minutiae of the galaxy far far away which by the way can i pause just for a second sure. imagine somebody of uh, because I, I saw uh something on youtube it was star wars explained and molly damon who she's mm-hmm. like i don't understand how you have somebody as gorgeous as pedro pascal like just in a helmet for the entire series you know, and it's it is interesting as an actor, which every ninety uh, percent of you know what you're recognized for is your face. To take on a gig where you know you're not be seen, you're not going to be seen. Isn't that a that's a bold choice by an actor? But anyway, which, go ahead. which actually brings me to a question I kind of had after watching it a second time was, do you think they're building it up to the potential of him being shown? You know, having revealed this, you know, him revealing his face. Because on the one hand, you wouldn't think so because, again, Mandalorian and everything. But on the other hand, you keep hinting at his helmet's never been removed. He hasn't taken it in front of anybody else. I think eventually, I I think personally, eventually what's going to happen is that he's going to be, you know, hey, nothing against you Mandalorians, but I'm my own person. You know, I am not a Mandalorian by birth. You know, I appreciate everything you've done for me. But, you know... I, you know, obviously there is an intimacy that's been created between he and this widow, mm-hmm. you know, that's, you know, that pain, painfully obvious in this, but, and there's a desire for him to, he wants to, but he, you know, keeps the helmet on and everything. Um, but I, I think eventually he's going to be, you know, making his own rules. Dave, you're. Oh yeah. Yeah. My, my wife like verbalized that at one point during the course of the episode. It was just like, I want this to end with him back on this planet 
with this uh, with this widow, you know, with his helmet off. And I'm like, I would make for a, a, a kind of a nice ending this season one at minimum. So they, uh, okay, so the Mando and Kara go tracking and they find ATST tracks. <laughs> Train tracks. <laughs> <laughs> had a driver's ed teacher who we were driving. He's like, hey, a train just went by here. And the kid driving said, how do you know? He said, can't you see its tracks? Mm-hmm. But anyway, they find ATSG tracks. And so, yes, he breaks off the Java door knocker thing, you know, but you're still going to get some callbacks. I mean, it's it's understandable why this tech is around. I mean, yeah, you know, it's very Mad Max-ish type of thing. You know what I mean? It's like, post-empire and the technology, you know, it's kind of like the fall of the Soviet uh, Union, you know, after the Soviet Union collapsed and all the military bases were raided throughout, you know, the former yeah. you know, Eastern Bloc nations were raided by everybody and sold off because, hey, you want a MiG? We got a dozen of them. You want a particular attack helicopter? We got 20 of them. We got to get rid of them because that's really the only thing we have for sale right now. But I love it. They go back to the village and it's very much like in when he's trying to negotiate with the Jawas. He's like, do you understand this? And he starts, you know, shooting his flamethrower or whatever mm-hmm. at him. It's He gets always a bad news. You can't live here anymore. <laughs> it was like, I was just like, that is, we're, again, we're not seeing any facial features, but we're getting his character. And there is a, he's straddling a line of being very Direct. compassionate mm-hmm. And being very Mandalorian. If you ever watch the Rebels, they'll say you are. I mean, there was one time where Kanan is training um, Sabine how to use the dark saber, how to use saber skills, and he's complaining to Hera about it. She goes, "She's just so Mandalorian," <laughs> you know, because there is that you know, just direct, the, you know, the discipline. There's there's no gray area. You know, bad news. You can't live here anymore. And Cara Dune says, "Well, that's a nice bedside manner." <laughs> um, so I think what we're first of all I don't think IG-11 is coming back I think Taika Waititi is going to direct something. I don't think he's coming back but I think Cara Dune is going to be what we hoped IG-11, IG-11 would be she's going to be that you know um, buddy cop uh, right fellow bounty hunter it's, it's going to be the you know everybody's got that best friend that was the yin to their yang you know it was you know the best friend who either got you into trouble or you know kept you out of trouble and i but i so i think she's going to be that because if you see their press junkets it's always you know carl weathers and gina carano and pedro pascal and then the directors so you know those three characters are going to be sticking around so i don't think that ig11 is going to be around but i think she's going to be that yang to his yang so mm-hmm. um anyway so they it, she <laughs> And it was funny because, you know, so then we, she's talking about, there's no way you can take down ATST. And my word to Brittany was, they need to get some Ewoks. <laughs> you know? Was, yeah, that was my first thought too. You know, like they Ewoks figured it out. Figured it out. Yeah. <laughs> hey, they have plenty of trees. All you have to do is build a trap. Which by the way, on a tangent, I mean, this was part of what Star Wars released. So this is not like a deep, you know, uh, spoiler or anything like that, but there's Warwick Davis in an Ewok costume looking at a wicket mask. Mm-hmm. So I think they should have changed episode nine to, you know, Star Wars episode nine, 
F yeah, we got F you, we got Ewoks. <laughs> Instead you know, of Rise of Skywalks, should be F you, we got Ewoks. They could bring the Ewoks and Baby Yoda in there and throw a few porgs. That, I want, I want the last, I want the the final act of that of this episode to have. I want battle droids and Gungans and Ewoks and Wookies and ba- it just everybody just, oh, just, everything just, in there. just pour out the toy chest and make everybody mad. I mean, so anyway, but anyway, so we got it. We got an Ewok. But anyway, so bad news. You can't live here anymore. And then we get the training montage. Which uh, the one I was telling, and I know you haven't seen it, but the only thing I could think of was Army of Darkness when <laughs> Bruce Campbell is training the med- medieval villagers on how to fight with a stick. Because that's all I could think of when he starts showing, you know, showing them how to, you know, when yeah, she, she has to say, how to fight. He doesn't have the pointy end out front. That's, that's, she's like, you know, you know, Pointy end out front, dude. Exactly. He's like, yeah. So these are really backwater farmers. But anyway, mm. go ahead. This is my boomstick. Exactly. This is, and <laughs> it's interesting that in that moment, she's like, okay, who knows how to shoot a blaster? And the widow raises her hand up, and not only can she shoot, she can shoot rather well, which immediately started making me think, are you like Kara and the Mandalorian? Are you a native? You of this found village? some place to hide. Exactly. She didn't say my grandparents seeded this you no know, she didn't this place she's there with her daughter and that's all you know and she's a member of this group but that doesn't mean that she didn't do what they're trying to do years prior you know she for all we know she might be an imperial officer she might be a rebel officer she might be somebody else who found this little backwater village because if you notice even from the beginning the very first scene when the uh raiders and when the orcs come a raiding she had the quick wit to recognize what was happening. She grabbed the daughter, jumped in the pond. She has survival skills. She had very, you know, the kind of survival skills that the two yokel farmers don't have. Right. And if you believe the uh, angry internet mob, uh, that, that makes her a Mary Sue, apparently. Yes. That she's competent. She's a competent woman. We can't have that. But that's just it. I'm like, you had known nothing about her. So for all you know, you she know might be a former grand moff who a- knows how to... Hold their own. And That's just the thing. That drives, it, it, it does. It drives me crazy. And it's why my my Twitter following is uh, who I follow is really well manicured and curated. So I don't I don't see a lot of this stuff. I see. And, it when... and maybe that makes me ignorant. And I don't dive into comments. You know, when I see a post, I don't dive into comments because I know that's just going to be the worst of humanity. And but I don't understand it because I've been. Um, I I know how strong my sister is. I know how strong my mother is. I know how strong my wife is. We all have a friend, you know, that, you know, our friend Mandy, who if I am ever in a scrape, I want Mandy by my side because Mandy will, will take him down. You know, it's so, I, you know, I don't understand. You know, I've had, I have former students who have been in the military and I don't know who these people are. And it's yeah. like, what, what, who wronged you, you know? And did you, and I, I think there's, there's a natural apprehension. And this is what I'll say. Sometimes the first time they see somebody doing something that doesn't coalesce or go with their expectations, it blows their mind. And they have to say, oh, well, you're cheating. You're cheating the story. You're, you're shorting the system. And you're like, that's not really the case. That's, Just because somebody's providing you new information doesn't mean automatically that what you thought prior is invalid. It just well, means it's my, new information. A great scene is, have you ever seen the movie uh, Keeping Up with the Joneses? 
Yes. It was Gal Gadot and um, uh, the guy from Mad. Oh, John Hamm. John Hamm was he from Mad Men? Yes. All right. Okay. So anyway, they were they end up they're CIA agents or whatever, but they're special agents. So, but they're undercover and they're at this backyard barbecue and they're playing the neighborhood, you know, darts and the guys being really chauvinistic and you know trying to show Gal Gadot how to throw darts. She's like. Hey, can I try it another way? And she just bullseye, 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 bullseye because I mean she's trained in throwing knives. It's like we don't know what anybody's what anybody's past or experiences are. So that that whole Mary Sue thing is just oh, it drives me crazy. I also think that it shows a real lack of understanding of the traditional Western motifs that we've been talking about because there's always. <laughs> Somebody's, a widow somebody walks, with a shotgun yeah. who knows what to do with it mm-hmm. and can take care of herself and has to be able to because she's living in kind of a rough environment where you're not getting a lot of help from other people. You're kind of left to your own devices and it's sink or swim. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, for me personally, that makes sense narratively. And it, it's been a archetype that's been around for decades now. Mm-hmm. So we get this training montage and I still, I want like the karate kid mon- montage music type stuff, you know. I, You're the best around. Right, you know, that's, I mean, because we're, we're getting these montages all the time. So then the the Mando and Cara Dune, they go in, they're going to go spring the trap and they beat down a bunch of orcs and wake up an ATST. Because it's an ATST, like we have, it's literally, I think, woken up and it's got big red eyes. And when this happened, my wife, like, just jumped up and she's, oh my God, it's like last shot. And I haven't read last shot. None of us have read last shot. So Brittany was, was educating us before this. And so we might have to do some more, you know, thinking about this one because, you know, the Rise of Skywalker, um, footage that we've seen C-3PO with red eyes and yes. we talked about in the second episode where I brought up my C-3PO figure that's behind me with Chewbacca's bandolier and bowcaster um, but apparently in last shot there's this thing called the phalanx where they've made droids for basically um, autonomous killing machines basically terminators it almost sounds like because there's nobody piloting that ATST. We don't see anybody. We just see two red eyes. However, I will say in this whole thing, I'm always thinking about this when I'm watching these episodes. When the video game comes out, we know how to beat the ATST. <laughs> Aim for the eyes. Right? Well, he threw the um, he threw the grenade or the thermal detonator or whatever into the opening, into the eye. Hole. She shot him in the eye, first of all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you can interpret that, you know, there was a pilot in there that got blown up or, you know, it just blew up the, the wiring. Or but whatever. I think there is a connect. That's an interesting, there could be a connective tissue here because I, I think it's far too coincidental that we see C-3PO with red eyes and we see an ATST with red eyes and they released a novel with these droids with red eyes. And, and who's it? Uh, Daniel Jose Older? Okay, yep. He's living in New Orleans. We need to find out. We need to try to get him here. <laughs> I'm, I'm all for it, yeah. I, I, I think I know. So he's an honorary member of the 501st, so I think I know. How, we need to try to get him here. Um, 
I don't know if he'd spill it on our podcast, but you know, but I think mm-hmm. that's far too coincidental. Um, but thematically, uh, it's interesting too because you talk about um, you. This is a, this is a pretty familiar theme when you when you we've been talking about the westerns and the seven samurai and the you know coming together to protect the town. Um, but this is a story that's you know been in our history it predates westerns it predates these japanese films because it's like a creature you know it's like grendel practically you know um Beow- we go back to beowulf and, and you've got a monster essentially attacking the town but also let's take it to the the five-year-old playing with the star wars toys mm-hmm. it's not out of the realm of possibility that any of us would grab the ATST and go, Brrrg, Brrrg, you know, I'm now, yeah. I'm this thing, you know, we turn it into a, because it looks like a robot. So, and that's the thing I like about this series so far is that you can see, it's totally feasible that two kids are sitting there playing with their Star Wars toys and coming up with these stories. But you know also what I like, I like the fact that it recontextualizes stuff like the ATST because, the only point of reference we have, I mean, we have a few shots of them in a Empire during the There's uh, a Panama. bunch in Rebels. There's a bunch in Rebels, but primarily our primary contact point is Return of the Jedi. Right. Where we see the Ewoks kind of doing a number on them. So we can think, get to think, oh, no, they're, they're pretty easy to take down if you know. And Chewbacca's Tarzan, y'all. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Speaking of things that pull you out. Exactly. Oh, oh, oh. Anyway. It it does. It's exact. It does. <laughs> I don't. It doesn't make me hate Return of the Jedi, but it does. It's. You <laughs> but know. it's the idea of all this military hardware that we saw in one context, but we're getting a chance to see it again. As okay, this is all part of that fist of the empire element of what beat what allowed them to beat you was they had the most dangerous technology. They could beat you over the head with it. They had the numbers. Which they could beat you over the head with them. You couldn't beat when. Against them. Which, it, first of all, I, I thought about Return of the Jedi a lot during this episode, not mm-hmm. because of the ATST, but because I was like, well, it took them a couple of weeks to come up with this plan to beat down this ATST, but it took the Ewoks all of about 10 minutes and C3PO to, you know, come up with their plan to beat the Empire. Anyway, just saying. Um, hey, look, Ewoks are military uh, savants. Everybody <laughs> so, knows this. But again, but it was a kind of a microcosm of Return of the Jedi, that whole theme of it, it doesn't take you know, mechanics it and weaponry, it takes will and, you know, and standing up for what you believe in. Um, so after their battle goes well, um, again, a very quintessential, you know, Western scene, you know, Mandalorian is leaning up against the wall, legs crossed, arms crossed, and Cara Dune is sitting in a chair with feet cocked up, drinking coffee, you know, and um, again, it just looks straight out of a Western. I don't have any criticism mm-hmm. of it, but it's just it's just cool. Um, we have some conversation. We get learn more Mandalorian helmet rules. See, she asks, what happens if you take that off? Do they come kill you? He's like, no, you can't put it on again. I'm like, well, that's kind of interesting. So, it's a um, you know, um, and again, we're get, being set up for he's going to make a choice at some point to take off that helmet. Because there's no other reason to have that conversation. Um, but he's talking about it. he's got to leave because they made too much noise. Word's going to spread. He's going to leave Yoda, baby Yoda there. Um, and when he says, I'm going to leave him here, 
automatically Cara Dune has this side eye glance. She doesn't turn and go and mm. look right at him, but her eyes just go off to the side like she's thinking about something. That's what's making me go, I don't know if I can trust you yet. Maybe I'm too much like my German shepherd who's you know sitting in the corner you know, and just watching how people react. I need another episode to see how... But I'm just maybe it's because I've seen the Lando Calrissian double cross before, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm a jaded Star Wars fan, whatever it is. But that little side eye glance again, nothing is on accident. You know why? I just think that's different than, oh, don't say that. Take him with you. You obviously because then she's all then she's like, well, it's going to break his heart, you know, and and I'll just go fast forward all of a sudden we have this little bounty hunter not a little bit we got a bounty hunter taking aim at baby yoda but cara dune ends up shooting him in the back yep and so i'm like how did she how did she know where he was that this whole sequence is just weird to me there's there's something too coincidental about something you think I she might have a fob i'm wondering yeah she knew it she knew he was guilt. Let's let's also go to Empire Strike Back. Boba Fett got to Bespin before Han and Leia did. Yep. So I guess my question is figured out where he was going. You know, is is she guilt? Does she, you know, know No, the only thing that gives me pause about the idea of her being guilt is the fact that she had the chance and the opportunity to take him out in the middle of the battle, maybe afterwards while his guard is completely down. You know, if she's hearing that he's going to leave the baby behind, she could have just simply said, okay, bye. And well, then what if the she's baby. guilt but has had a change of heart? I don't know. Yeah, yeah that's to say, we don't know. And they part on good terms, which if, if her plan, say for example, her plan was to let him leave, leave baby Yoda behind and then take baby Yoda and fly off, you know, kind of avoiding the confrontation, but winning anyway. And then this other bunny owner shows up and ruins her plan. She still could have very well try to make sure to get to him or come along with him to kind of double cross him at a later point. But, you know, they part in good terms and she goes in her own way. So, um, Dave, to your point, when you say you've said several episodes or a couple episodes now, you don't think baby Yoda is going to make it through the series yeah. mm-hmm. twice. Now we've had the Alfred Hitchcock double cross, you know, where he, he calls like the false, like when you're, in this spooky situation and the cat jumps out and makes you all jump. It's the, you know, get you to jump, but nothing really happened. We've had twice now where baby Yoda has been targeted and we're made to think that he's been shot, but somebody else has been shot. Is the third time going to be, we can't go to that well too many more times. Otherwise as an audience member, it's like, Oh, they got baby Yoda in the sights. Oh, going to be fine because twice now it's been fine third time i think maybe baby yoda maybe that's the end of season one we don't know yeah i mean it could be or maybe baby yoda brains all over you know the crib or something oh, there's a lot <laughs> oh, oh, oh i just went there disney oh. plus yeah <laughs> yeah i mean that's the whole side of it the disney side of it that you begin to think well they probably will try to let us down gently if they can but uh there's a lot of foreshadowing in these episodes um and they pay that off they pay it off um so if you believe that this is foreshadowing they'll eventually pay it off so 
the baby Yoda is uh, well. So baby Yoda's fine. The bounty hunter is taken out by Cara Dune. He realizes chasing after the kids. So now the Man- Mandalorian and baby Yoda are heading off to their ship. And Cara Dune asks, "Are you sure you don't want an escort?" And I find it interesting because he asked the he asked Nick Nolte if he wanted to join him, but he didn't take up Gina Carano on her offer to you know come along. <laughs> come along. Come along. It's like, yeah. it's like, all right, you know, maybe you need to have better taste there, you know, Mandalorian. But anyway, um, I think personally, what's going to happen in the next episode? This is prognosticating a little bit. It's going to start off with them heading towards the ship. Another bounty hunter is going to come out. Gina Carano is going to save the day and get on the ship with them. And they're a team. That's the way it's going to start. Because she's obviously going to be coming back in this episode. Or in this series. You don't have her on the press junkets like this just for one episode. Well, it's going to be interesting because, Dave, you need somebody for him for the Mandalorian to play off of. And it can't just simply be new characters because all it's going to do is recycle the same information you've heard. You need somebody who can he can build uh, relationships with. Whether it's a friendly relationship, partnership relationship, whoever that is. So having somebody on the ship beyond Baby Yoda. Right. Because all he can do is talk to Baby Yoda and all Baby Yoda can do is coo and make noises. So he needs somebody he can play off of that kind of allows him to be his stoic Mandalorian self but drawing him out of that show. <laughs> The other thing that struck me when they're pulling away, because that last shot is you're seeing Baby Yoda looking at... The kids are crying because they're going to miss Baby Yoda and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I would too, because... Yeah, you know, it's adorable. But I kept thinking about Yoda talking to Anakin in Episode 3. You need to prepare to let go of the things, basically of everything that you care about. Mm-hmm. And Baby Yoda didn't want to leave those kids, but it's like... I just kept thinking about that line. I, you know, I'm not saying that this is a clone of Yoda or, you know, Yoda reincarnated, which it can't be because the math doesn't add up, you know, or anything like that. But it is that very much that you've got to be able to let go. It's that Jedi mantra of, you know, attachments. Well, so. that's what's interesting because we're, even though Yoda baby looks like Yoda and uses the force, he's not a Jedi. He's not been trained. It's all it is as a toddler. I mean, he he's able to ambulate and he's able to have soup and he's able to play, but he has no speech skills that we know of yet and no nothing beyond just being kind of like a little toddler. So the idea of it being, or he being a Jedi at this point, I'm kind of us thinking about him in those terms. We're a bit ahead of that. Right now it is, it's a baby. He, he could very well end up being a farmer on that village happy as can be and occasionally kind of sort of using the force but have no real training for it you know some things that have that have struck me with this is it's really um and it was an episode it was an episode three um i think they're doing some great things with that puppet in that like when they're walking when he's when in episode three when he landed on the the planet and they're walking to the client and another ship is landing the baby yoda ears are flopping around mm-hmm. because there's a lot of wind kicking up and um, I'm just talking about the attention to detail that they it could just be you know a cute little puppet that's just cocking its head every now and again like an Ewok that would make us you know oh that's really cute but they're mm-hmm. really doing a lot to 
there's a lot of attention to detail here. Um, but, um, yeah, so that's where, that's where we're left with, um, where you think we're headed next, Dave? What's the next episode going to be? I've actually been staying away from, there's a synopsis of the next like three episodes online. I've stayed away from it because I don't want to know. I like, again, I like what Disney plus is doing where it's a week. I, I look forward to Fridays. My wife and I actually had the conversation. said, we're going to watch this Friday morning. Or are we going to wait until after we'll watch it Friday morning? You know, it's just, anyway, what do you think? Where do you think I, we're I heading? I love that too. I love that aspect to it. It's communal. Um, we get to, sit around the water cooler and talk about this after the fact. So I love that about it. Um, do you think, do you think there's a, do you see an arc being drawn or do you think it's episode, 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 episode? You know what I mean? Are they just, do, do we see an overall story being formed here? Well, the big, the biggest story is uh, his development as a character, which we touched on earlier, which is him becoming more of a, um, person that is less stoic and more open to re- human relationships and human interactions and, um, and and that development is the overarching story but you know when it comes to these self-contained episodes they work they work they work pretty well um, individually I think so far um, and I really enjoyed them on that level because you can just sit there come in watch a single episode and get a lot out of it um and i felt the same way um about this one and that's why i liked this one so much because of the seven samurai uh aspects to it can i i'm gonna i'm gonna sorry i'm gonna deviate from our conversation because my wife from the living room just sent a text she said worst hot take i just saw cara dune shouldn't have been able to defeat the mandalorian in a fight because she's fat then she's not fat. <laughs> she's got body armor and she's uh, physically fit. Whoa. Oh, jeez. Yeah, right? It's like, so yeah, if you're one of these people, just stop, you know, put your phone down and, you know, it, it, it's... You know what's hilarious is, and not to get too much into that topic, but when Gal Gadot was cast as Wonder Woman... You know, a role, a role that Gina Carano was for the longest time kind of linked with. There was a backlash of people saying she doesn't look buff enough. She doesn't look tough enough. She's way too skinny. She's way too tiny. She's not going to do well. The movie comes out. Everybody loves it. Everybody thinks she's perfect for it. You know, so I always, I always think that whenever somebody throws an opinion like that, it's no, it doesn't fit your preconceived notions. And you're wrong. So, so I don't know. I, God bless the. I, I'm just. God bless how I was raised. I suppose because you know I was raised around strong women, and I'll never forget Brittany and I. One of our first dates, we we're sitting there at a restaurant, and I'm trying to debate, you know, or just talk about topics of the day, and she was like, "Yeah, whatever." And I said, "I remember this was a quote, I, and you're gonna have, might have to bleep this out, Dave." But I said, "Tell me what you think." You know, and from that day forward, and now it's like <laughs> I sometimes just I gotta go to the bathroom, you know, because <laughs> you know I'm married to a very strong woman, and I can't imagine it any other way. And it's like I watch Wonder Woman. I'm like that. That was an awesome movie, you know. I just and I think about the girls looking to, you know, 
somebody they can look up to and say, I can kick butt like that. Or, you know, episode seven, I still say the best, the best Star Wars moment for me. And I was born in 1973. So I saw, you know, episode four in the theaters. So all of you millennials can kiss my butt. The, the best Star Wars moment was when that lightsaber flew into mm. Ray's hand. I remember in the theater, that was the first time in a Star Wars movie I went, oh my gosh. <laughs> it was like, that was awesome. You know, mm. it was like the music was perfect and the fact that, and and then when she started whooping butt on Kylo Ren, I'm just like, you go. And so I, I just don't, I don't understand why people get, it's this worse way. with women. I mean, it, it is. I, I don't. I, I don't think there's any debate about that. But I also feel like, to Fredo's point, like people get a mental image of something in their heads, and they grow attached to that, and then they can't get past it. And we saw that with um, Daniel Craig being cast as Bond. You can't have a blonde Bond, and now they're saying the same thing about skin color with Bond. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you just go on and on and on and on down the list, and it's like, oh, you can't have this, you can't have that, and it's like, well, yes, you can. Yeah, <laughs> you I, really can. It's, it's all down to execution. It's all down to the performance. It's all down to how everything comes together, and I think that's really the key is that it doesn't matter what Gina Carano looks like or what Gal Gadot looks like. Yeah, are they doing the role justice in the way that the director and the writer and the project one needs it to be? If they are, great. That's all that matters. And by the way, to bring us to, to bring us back, sorry, I took us on a dovetail there, but my wife was, you know, helping us out with conversation topic. Um, Do you notice her tattoo? Mm-hmm. The tattoo on Cara Dune's cheek is the rebel insignia. Mm-hmm. Kind of interesting. Um, but so wh- where do we think we're going from here? So obviously he's heading back to the ship. What's Are they going to leave the planet? Are they going to be able to leave the planet? Um, you know, it was kind of interesting. After I watched this episode, I went back and I watched the trailers just to see what scenes we haven't seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there was one of Nick Nolte patting the uh mandalorian on his shoulder and these might be cut scenes yeah, yeah you know but i'm just you know i'm just wondering where there's also the one where he's leaving the door and he's shooting down a bunch of stormtroopers you know that he's chasing down a tie fighter there's things going on so there's gonna be a point where yoda baby's gonna be taken from him and he has to go rescue that's and that may be toward the last episode or so you know but at the same time you know at some point they're going to be separated and he's going to have to fight his way back to them. Beyond that, it's going to be interesting to see whether they, they follow any other tropes, whether they follow any other uh, motifs that we've seen before and just readapt them for their story. Because We still don't know why the, why he was on that Jawa planet in the first place. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we talked about that on an earlier episode. Like, what, who are these bandits that had the Yoda baby? And what's right. their story? And why is the Yoda baby even there? You know, it's like we might revisit some of that. Like I, like I was saying, at some point, somebody's going to have the answers of maybe not necessarily where Yoda baby comes from, but give us some backstory on his people and Yoda's race. Cause now, it is interesting. We don't have a lot of time for a lot of background background i mean we're we're at trivia on tuesday and our friend scott was his big thing about episode two was that we didn't need a full 
37 minutes or whatever, 35 minutes to learn that the Yoda baby could use the force. That was kind of his thing. It's like that whole episode was, even though it was cool to see Jawas and stuff like that, it's like we didn't need all that time to learn that the Yoda baby could use the force. That was basically the plot point we needed to know at that, I think at that juncture. So I kind of agree with him at that point. So I, we're getting close to where it's like, we can't spend a lot of time going down memory lane on a lot of these things. So I don't know. Yeah. I mean, and that's also by the nature of the short episodes. I mean, we're talking 30, 35 minutes, you know, give or take, depending on how And this credits. one was longer, mm-hmm. which must've made all everybody happy. Yeah, absolutely. It gives them more chance to breathe. I think it's more important for the longer episodes in those uh, moments when there is just with the widow, with Kara, just talking, because it allows a chance for us to get to know him, how he is. Also notice, last two episodes, directed by women. Mm -hmm. Now, this one was done by uh, Bryce Dallas Howard, and then the last one was done by, I believe, Deborah Chow. Deborah Chow. So, yeah. That's where some of the critiques come in, too, I'm sure. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, this is female directors with an agenda or whatever. Um, which just, we've already devoted enough time to that. It's stupid and disgusting. But it yeah. is. Well, all right. Well, uh, any any last thoughts before we part? Can't wait for the next episode. It's going to be an interesting thing because we're looking at three weeks or so till Rise of Skywalker. And we're getting inundated with... Uh, TV spots for oh, the yeah. Rise of Skywalker, which is there are some interesting things that are coming out in those. We're kind of seeing the same scenes over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. You mentioned it at Thanksgiving, Dave, that is like, I don't want to see too many of those scenes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if I already, I already have the gist. <laughs> so you got my money. I'm going to go see it. I, I don't need to see more of the scene because that's why I'm paying you. There money. was one I saw yesterday that showed Leia holding a lightsaber. You shut your mouth. Don't tell me more. That was, I'm sorry. They released it. It's not a spoiler. She's holding a lightsaber. So, you know, it's kind of a... But um, whose lightsaber? So, um, anyway, you know, and of course you see an Ewok and, you know... Um, All this stuff is beginning to filter out. And, uh, that's, and that's the thing. Like, I was just looking... But nothing more. that is giving a story away. It's, again, mm-hmm. it's enough to go you know to make you slobber you yeah know. i just saw that tomorrow on instagram uh, the cast is going to be doing a live q a session which they're not going to say anything no no but but it's interesting like you were saying dave they're ramping up you know all the interviews are going to start happening now all the tv spots are going to have you're going to see it on your twitter feed your facebook wall everywhere it's going to be we're going to get inundated with all star wars between rise of skywalker and mandalorian between now and the end of the month I'm all right with that. <laughs> That's okay. The it's world needs more Star Wars. I agree. All so right. Avoid spoilers. Well, that's the the end of this uh, Houdat Jedi um, council session, I suppose. We've put my dog to sleep on the uh, floor. She's bored. Um, but we'll be back after episode five of The Mandalorian. Um, don't know what that title is going to be. So keep coming back here to see what we have to say about it. And uh, we'll see you later. Who dat?
Macanque.